2: We heard a twig snap behind us, and I turned around, and a wolf cut across our trail behind us. He was 20, 25 yards behind us, staring at us the entire time, but just kind of cut right across our tracks.
0: Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look, telling you to keep up? Train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself, Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Adam, what's going on?
1: Not much, man. Uh, did a little fishing this weekend. And, yeah, had a good weekend. What about you, buddy?
0: Oh, man, I've just been busy packing and... uh got out for a little bit ran the dogs trying to get them in shape for the uh upcoming hunting season but i swear it's like every time i go out there it's just uh something uh something gets in the way some some challenges hurdles that uh, i have to contend with i guess to get yeah, to hunting season you know if, yep. it's not, if it's not skunk spraying lucy twice in a row then it's <laughs> somebody littering a beer bottle and rachel stepping on that and then uh yeah, you've been gone for the past couple of weeks. You haven't been out to the trial grounds, man. It's It's been overtaken.
1: I snuck out there one morning. I just didn't tell you I wanted some solitude. So I, <laughs> one of those mornings where I was like, you know what, I'm going by myself. But Well, was
0: the crowd there? I mean, uh, the grounds have legit been taken over.
1: No, but it was like a weekday early in the morning, so...
0: Oh, it's been that way. Every you just you caught it on a good morning. So I just looked up. <laughs> oh, so apparently it's kind of actually neat. I you know the first time I saw them there, there were like twenty cars just lined up on that main road. Holy and, cow! Yeah, and I didn't know what the heck was going on. And I see everybody out there with cameras and binoculars. I'm like, all right, there's there's some kind of special bird in the area. And so I pulled yeah. over and I asked him. I'm like, what well, you know, what's going on? And they're like there's this bird that never comes to middle tennessee it's outside of its range and there's two of them here and it's a painted bunting and if you don't know what it is dude i
1: did run into that same guy out there he had a giant camera and when i stopped to talk to him he had a a cell phone in his shirt pocket that was doing uh, a bunting call
0: oh okay dude Mm -hmm. i'm telling you like they showed me some pictures they got it is a gorgeous bird like it is a cool looking bird but nobody knows why it's up here and uh oh man every time i've gone out there no joke there's the first few days it was like 15 to 20 cars there every time i went out there and then now it's you know it was one or two cars here and there but yeah it's kind of interesting it's just, <laughs>
1: we're, we're like it's a painted bunting can you imagine if there was a grouse sighting out at the uh trial grounds
0: well it's funny you say that, we'd be so the like, same way <laughs> every time i see a car there i pull over i'm like have you found it yet and they're like no not yet and i tell them i was like well it's always this time at that specific spot that they always see it at and everybody's like oh yeah thank you thank you and then i was pulling away saturday morning i'm like you know if that was like a hunting spot that i told somebody <laughs> right now, Exactly. everybody would give me some much crap but you know then again I guess you know the, these bird watchers are not exactly shooting the bird that everybody's after but uh yep. yeah it's just interesting man I, I've never seen that many people go out to the the uh training grounds that we go to all the time and it's it's over just a regular songbird but it is a it is a cool looking bird if you hadn't looked it up you you need to look that up
1: yeah I'm gonna check it out that's cool man i I love stuff like that you know the irony is we're obviously bird hunters uh mm-hmm. but I, like I I'm fascinated with birds so
0: yeah, yeah. well I'd, I'd rather see a painted bunting, bunting than another skunk I'm I'm sick of dealing with
1: them Yeah so real quick man what's your like skunk recipe <laughs> I've heard uh I've heard dish soap baking soda and peroxide
0: That's what I ended up having to use so the first day Lucy got sprayed, I guess it wasn't a direct hit. Is like she just kind of walked through it, and so just a regular bath went through it.
1: <laughs> just and, got misted.
0: Yeah, she just got misted, and so I was just like, you know, I don't know what the fuss is about. It's not that bad. I just gave her a bath, and you know, everything was <laughs>
1: was good. Well, you're like check the skunk box, knots yeah. on the belt. Ain't yep. that bad? Ain't that
0: bad? But then the next morning you know, karma came and bit me because we're, we're doing a, he's probably four or five miles into her run. She disappears into this thick ditch. Can't see her. And next thing you know, I see her voicing on game and I'm like, what is she chasing? And then all of a sudden I smell it. I'm like,
1: Oh no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it was definitely worse. She took a direct hit in the face and I can't, oh man, I came home and I, I knew the recipe That's what everybody says, but I'm, I'm being stubborn. I'm like, I don't want to go to the store and get the supplies. Like surely I can make something work here. And I, I tried every dog shampoo, dish shampoo, everything around here. And, and finally I'm like, all right, mom. and I went and got some hydrogen peroxide and baking soda. And, uh, it did the trick, but like everybody says, man, it doesn't come off
1: the collar and, and dish soap too, right? Yeah, yeah, you put okay. some
0: dish soap in it, and it forms kind of like a paste type thing, and you just right. it, put it on them, and then just rinse it off, and uh, it took care of it, but yeah, it's like... Nice.
1: I've like, heard you need to keep that away from their eyes, though, Yeah, when you put it on. Yeah,
0: I made sure to do that, which was hard, because she got nailed in the face, and so it's like, you, so. you, you, you could <laughs> kind of smell it still on her on her face, but... Yeah, the collar, it's bad, man. I, I'm about to just have to throw that out because every time I put yeah. it on, you can still smell it. But, yeah, so it's like every time I go out there, man, it, it, it's a different challenge. Either skunks or, you know, somebody littering a beer bottle and it punctures Rachel's foot. And I'm like, God bless. Yep. Come on, people.
1: Yeah, but, and skunks. Come on, skunks. So, yeah. dude, when she got sprayed, did she come back to you like happy face as always? Like, hey, smell me. This was a great time. Or so she... Was got- she-
0: she got sprayed and kept chasing it. And then <laughs> I caught call, I called her off and she came and joined me on the path. And then she she went back out front and kept hunting. And her and Rachel pointed and eventually kicked up an entire flock. I mean, it was it was probably 20, 25 turkeys flying everywhere. Oh wow. So she goes chasing off of them. And it's just like, you know, you could just see the, the green smoke as she was chasing those turkeys. It's just you know, I, walking back to the truck, I'm like, all right, do I hate skunks or porcupines more? <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm probably going to stick with the porky because, you know, that that can really do some harm physically to your dogs. Yeah, you know, skunked, for sure. It's yeah. it's definitely not desirable, but, you know, it's a rough smell is, uh a, I, I would probably say, more desirable than actually hurting your dog
1: yeah for sure man i was thinking about that this week you know all the the dangers we encounter with our dogs and i was thinking specifically about porcupines and if we're going to run into any of those bad boys up in minnesota this fall
0: <laughs> well speaking um, of minnesota you want yep. to tell everybody what we're talking about this week
1: yeah man so we've uh we got to talk to nick larson um uh, you guys probably know him if you don't uh pretty easy to figure it out he's uh runs the project upland podcast and he came on and and we just had a a good conversation with him we talked about minnesota we talked i'm sorry we talked about minnesota
0: minnesota Uh,
1: that's right and um the wolves up there the grouse up there his new stuff yep his new pup what he's doing different with this dog compared to his first one and just a, a really uh enjoyable conversation man yeah
0: man we covered a lot of ground with him he was a lot of fun we appreciate him coming on and and you know hopefully linking up with him at some point in the future maybe knocking out a hunt at some point maybe when we're up there yeah. maybe we can uh wrangle them down here to to mix it up in the rhododendron like we we talked about yep. but we'll see that's right that's a long shot uh but we'll give it a shot we'll we'll give her a go um uh, but yeah, so this week I'm I'm going to forego the typical Patreon sponsor pitch and yeah. let's concentrate on everybody. If you listen, maybe you don't, you don't really feel the need to give us a couple bucks through Patreon or anything. Uh, something that you can really do to help us out that's free takes just a minute is leave us a rating and review especially if you're on Apple, uh, written reviews go a long way. I can't tell you how or why the algorithm works that way, but you know, the more ratings and reviews we have, the easier it is that we pop up on people's search bars. And a lot of people have been leaving some ratings and reviews, but I wanted to just throw that out there that, you know, instead of Patreon, you don't, you know, you don't have to throw money our way or anything like that. Just log on to your, whatever podcast platform you have, leave us a rating and review and it really helps us out.
1: Yep. Yeah. And and the review helps us because we obviously like the, <clears throat> the positive feedback in those reviews, but send us an email too. If you have a way that we can improve our podcast, we're, we're always looking for ways to, to make it better and improve on things. So Absolutely. hit us up through an email too.
0: Yep. And we've been getting a lot of good feedback from everybody and, uh, and people reaching out with, uh, with questions, some tips, some advice, what they like. Yep. And, uh, you know, we're, we've been getting a lot of uh, life advice with Adam requests, but I tell you, man, it's all family related. We just need to start calling it Family Corner or something with
1: this. <laughs> Fam- family Corner with Adam. <laughs> the family guy. All right, man. Hit me up. What do you got for me this week? Something? Uh,
0: Jim, old Jimmy C out of North Carolina, he wants okay. to know, besides the obvious like potty training, what other similarities. Would you compare dog training with raising children?
1: Oh man, <laughs> he, he said you'd be the guy to
0: ask with all your analogies that you always throw out there.
1: <laughs> oh, till you, you put me on the spot with one. I usually just like <laughs> flow naturally. Yeah. Um, oh man, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the responsibility and the <laughs> having having another. Living breathing thing, depending on you, you know it's a, a puppy depends on you to a certain extent, just like a kid does, and then as they grow older older that that changes uh I won't say it goes away, but it, you know I think it it just changes um man, other than potty training huh yep a, a routine um is extremely important um getting getting kids into a routine. From you know toddler age on up, I mean, my kids are. Connor just turned thirteen the other day, um, but still, you know, kids really crave routine. And I always joke with with Jackie. I'll say that Mitchell, my dog, is craving my leadership, and I just kind of joke about it. But it's it's true. They actually crave the structure and leadership, and kids are the same way. So there you go: structure, a schedule, and a routine. That's it man. Can't
0: really argue. What do you can't, think? Can't really argue with that. It doesn't matter what I think. This isn't a life at life <laughs> with Nick. All right. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep my two cents out of all these cuz I can follow up and uh talk everybody's ear off after you talk, but uh this is, yep. this, is I hear ya. this is your spotlight man every week. So <laughs> Speaking of which, you know, I have like two or three more family questions over the next few weeks, but you know, we need to split up the family advice. I want to get some fun questions in for you. You know, you, you're more than hey, family's a, fun, dude. It is fun, but you know what? You're more than <laughs> just a family guy. You know, you're a hunter, you have gear, you know, you're, you're in the Marine Corps. Let's get some interesting questions, gear questions, something something completely random it can be just a fun question like what's yeah
1: like hunting gear questions that'd be fine marine corps gear i don't want to talk
0: about it anything you know just ask his favorite color and why i don't care but yeah let's uh let's let's try and grill gunny a little bit more and uh split up (laughs) these family questions It's, it's good and all but yeah i have like two or three more amped up ready to go but i think the last three or four we've done has been family so uh
1: yeah. Hey, it sounds like people have the right priorities, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. so.
0: Well, without further ado, I think we can stop talking. We've rambled on long enough in this intro and uh, we'll get to, to Larson. And uh, this is Larson's story. There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog hunters know you need the right gear. Not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conky's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conky's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing, from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, Check out ConkeysOutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. Double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, Head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody, we have Nick Larson on the line, and since my name's Nick and his name's Nick, we're just going to call him Larson for everybody's clarity and sanity this this week. And uh, Larson, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well, man. That you're not the first person to call me Larson, so I'm I'm good with that. I'm I'm happy to be on GDIY podcast and uh, honored to be here. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on.
0: <laughs> well, most people that listen to us, I'm sure they've listened to you, and uh, so they they're probably familiar with you. But for in case there's one or two people that don't know, kind of introduce yourself and uh, w- what you do
2: yeah certainly so uh, again uh going by larson tonight i uh i host the the project upland podcast that would be i'd be foolish to think that that was that's not the most uh well known place that people would recognize me from so <laughs> i've been been hosting the project upland podcast for three i think we're in year three now since like the fall of twenty seventeen um so we're coming up on on three full years and yeah it's been it's been pretty Pretty crazy to to be really on board, sort of the Project Upland team, I guess, if you will, in 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 its growth over the last handful of years. I've I got to got to know AJ Derosa very early on, before I think Project Upland was even a real thing. Um, so I'd kind of been tied in with him due to my work at the Rough Girl Society and um, just kind of expressed my interest in being involved with what he was doing as things grew. And at one day came where he he asked me to if i wanted to host a podcast and that was actually something i had thought about a lot believe it or not i was a big podcast fan and listener for a long time and that was back you know i don't know how long you guys have been listening to podcasts i imagine a while but that was oh, back yeah. you know when there was there was really like nothing for Upland hunting for a while. And then along came our, our good buddy Ron Bain with the Honey Dog podcast. That's and he dope. was he was kind of owning the space for a while. And and I, I honestly remember driving around listening to an episode of the hunting Dog podcast. And Ron was talking about how, you know, how much fun he had doing it. And he hoped that someday there would be more people that started Upland podcasts. And I was like, man, <laughs> I, I should do that. It, but it was one of those things where I just to To step outside of my comfort zone and do it on my own, I just I didn't take that step. And AJ called me up out of the blue one day and said, "Would you be interested in starting a podcast?" And I'm like, "You know what, man, I would." And yeah. uh, so he gave me he gave me the motivation and and some of the support to do it. And uh, three years later, we're we're about 110 episodes in and clipping right along. And I'm I'm really I'm I'm really happy to see how the upland podcasting space has filled out and developed over those three years it's crazy i mean there was there was not a whole lot going on and now we've got an embarrassment of riches and i'm uh a, i'm a, a big fan of the gun dog at yourself podcast i love what you guys are doing and i think it's awesome that we have these resources as amateur bird dog trainers
0: <laughs> well i appreciate that and i'm sure if ron could go back in time when he said that that he wish everybody else would come out with uh upland hunting podcasts that he wouldn't imagine that there's (laughs) as many as there are out there right now right like you said it is an embarrassment of riches i mean it's just if you really have that passion and interest you can just listen to podcasts all day long and never run out of content it's kind of getting hard to pick and choose what you want to listen to nowadays it is
2: yeah yeah it's uh i mean it, it honestly went from again back in the early days when it was just ron it was like come on, Ron, like hurry it up here. We need another episode. We need (laughs) something to listen to. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now we can, now we can pick and choose and you know, you, it's, it's nearly impossible to keep up with all of them and that's okay because you can, you can scan across the episodes and if it looks like something you're interested in, awesome, check it out. If not, you know, there's, there's, there'll be another episode in in a day or two probably.
1: Yeah. I, I remember a couple of years ago, listening to the hunting dog podcast and, and waiting for, you know, the next week to roll around, or if I wasn't able to, to listen for a few weeks due to work and I'd have some episodes stacked up, I'm like, all right, this will last me for a week or something. And, and now there's just so much to choose from, uh, which is a really good problem to have because a lot of, a lot of the podcast, you know, it kind of puts you out there with your dog, so to speak, when, when you're not able to be, um, it puts you in that frame of mind. So, that's a good thing. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, I, uh, you guys obviously know this and actually I think I heard you, you mentioned it on a, on the interview, one of the interviews you just did where you took those two guys out to the Navda training day and talk about how like the bird dogs, you know, they really make it a year round thing. And, and that's very true. I've, I've learned that myself over the last six years and it's, any any like we tend to think about this stuff a lot probably more than we should but <laughs> yeah. the pod, the podcasting and all of the upland content that you know they're they're that has really exploded over the last handful of years sometimes i wonder i mean it seems like there's this kind of reawakening in the upland world but i also know that i'm really close to it so that's kind of like my my lens might be filtered a little bit as far as what i see but i do think there's there's a lot of interest and buzz surrounding it and again we just we've got so much to uh, so much to read watch listen all year round now and it's uh it fuels the addiction i guess
0: right exactly i mean uh, like you said i think i'm seeing it as well that the upland world is kind of growing and the dogs have a lot to do with it but i think just the access of information being readily available with so many podcasts out there and if if one isn't your cup of tea another one is and yeah. you know it kind of makes you wonder how many guys wives curse the podcast industry for you know getting <laughs> getting their husbands obsessed with it like we are.
2: Yep. Yeah, so, we're we're definitely letting people exercise that more than they should.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we didn't bring you on just to, you know, kind of float each other's boats about, you know, the great right. podcast we all do. Uh but you just recently got a puppy and so I thought it might be fun to get you on and, and really kind of just go down the story of you getting your pup and your big plans and what you learned from your first one. And, you know, just the difference that it's going to be having two dogs as opposed to one, because like I said, I think everybody's slightly familiar with you and your story, but, uh, the pup it's brand new and man with, with a new pup comes a lot of big dreams and a lot of big plans. And so I thought it'd be just fun to get on and talk about that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I know the, I've got a, the pup now she is gosh, I've I've had her for probably close to a month. I it's it's been kind of a whirlwind. She's gotta be eleven, twelve weeks, right about that time frame. And she's my she's my second bird dog. I've got a I've got a both lying here next to me. There's a six-year-old English setter who's actually half brother. Uh they share a, they share the same sire. Nice. And uh my new new pup, 12-week old, female English setter. So I got a male and a female now. And yeah, it's it's all Hopes and dreams at this point. And it's been, I mean, it's been really fun so far. Obviously, we've got a lot ahead of us that I'm very excited about. But yeah, it's, it's been fun to go through the new pup experience. Now, don't get me wrong. She definitely reminds me about once or twice <laughs> a day that she is a puppy. And I seem to have conveniently forgot about all this stuff that Hartley did. Or I, or I wonder, I, my wife and I find ourselves like scratching our heads, like, did Hartley do this? Like, we don't remember. <laughs>
0: going <laughs> through a lot of carpet cleaner right now. We've
2: been, we've been going through a little bit of that. And I, fortunately I've, I've built out these garage candles i'm sitting in the garage right now that was it was just a basically a cold storage shed for a while um now it's going to be the new kind of bird dog cave and eventually home office here if i can get my act together but the pup has slowed things down a little bit but they've been spending time out here and she just she's really just like fit right into the program and i have you know i found a lot of things with the older dog I have a routine now for my bird dog, you know, that I didn't have when I brought my first one home. And so we have, like, I've got the hang of things as far as exercise and routine and daily schedule and everything. And she has just fallen right into that schedule and like exceeded my expectations as far as just being a good citizen around here. And uh, we've we've got a two and a half year old son at home too, which we didn't have in the early days. And you know, by need like necessity, we've had to just kind of throw the dogs out in the garage for extended periods of time, and she's she has had no issues with that. And I've been, obviously, my wife and I work, we're fortunate enough to work from home as it is. Um, So we have been, we've been very thankful through this whole crazy year of 2020 that we're all experiencing. But our lives have been impacted a lot less than a lot of people that I know. So we've we've been thankful for that. Um, But being around here with the new pup and just working from home, um, has been, has been really nice. It's allowed me to take advantage of some opportunities as far as getting her exposed to stuff and getting out into the woods and into the field. And we've just been doing a lot of that stuff lately. It's been fun so far.
1: You know, it's interesting that, uh, y'all's lives are much busier now, so it's forced you to have more, more structure with your new pup. And yes. in my opinion, that's exactly yeah. what a dog needs and they crave it. They crave structure. i I'll joke with my wife all the time. You know, I'll be like, my dog's craving my leadership right now. And I'm <laughs> I'm just joking about it. But yeah, you know, seriously, they do need, they need structure and they need leadership. So um, aside from that, what are some other things that you're doing different with this puppy that you, uh, from what you did with your last dog?
2: Yeah. Well, that structure thing is, that's a, it's a, it's a key and it's, yeah. uh, it was almost unintentional. Like, like a, you, you, you touched on it cause that's how I explained it. But really like my older dog, he was, I mean, spoiled, spoiled as far as, you know, we didn't have a, we didn't have a son at that time. Like this dog was, he was like a 100% house dog and these dogs will, these dogs will still be house dogs. You know, we definitely would consider them that and they're, they're very good around the house, but the mm-hmm. it's, it, just having having to have this structure has it's it's shown me that yes, that is what she needs. Cause there's there's times where and I've been figuring this out over the last couple of weeks where she'd be out in the garage all day and we get our exercise in. Then we bring her in the house at night and she's kind of rammy. She's running around playing with stuff. And eventually I'll get fed up with it. And I've now learned that taking that clicker out, I've been doing a little bit of clicker training yeah. just with treats and clickers and just working on, you know, coming to me going in her kennel, laying on the bed. I do that with her for five to 10 minutes and she's like a different dog. I mean, she is, she's keyed into me and she is, she is craving that. Like you said, she is craving that structure and she wants to learn. And obviously this is a very formative time for her. Um, So I did a little bit of that with Hartley, but I think I'm doing it a little bit more with her. Um, And then, as far as other things, like I've talked about this a lot in the, in some recent episodes of the project Upland podcast. When I got my first dog, there was just this immense pressure in that I was undertaking something that was so unfamiliar to me. And I just, I was always on edge. Like I put pressure on myself, like wondering, man, do I need to be doing intro to birds today? Do I need to be doing intro to gun tomorrow? Like hunting season's <laughs> coming up. Like I got to get all this stuff done. Check, check, check. And, I kind of did that, I I leaned on people around me that that knew what they were doing and they helped me out and I got my dog Hartley through guns and birds like pretty early, probably earlier than, certainly earlier than you need to. Um, Was it too early? I guess not because Hartley turned out to be just fine. But I know that like when the bird season rolled around, I took my dog up way up north, Actually, not far from where you guys are going to be heading this fall, um, to my buddy's camp, and we went we were this is my first weekend with a bird dog we're going to go hunting right Well, I got a three month old English setter and albeit my expectations were in check to a certain extent, but <laughs> mm-hmm. i just had, I just had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know if this dog was going to go out there and point a grouse and the grouse would flush, and I'd kill it, and I would be shooting birds over the dog today. I had no clue, and you know lo and behold, this dog was I actually got him into grouse. I mean, I got him into grouse his very first morning. We walked up on a brood of grouse and he was, he was excited. He could smell them. Like I probably could have shot one of those, but I was so nervous about like shooting a bird that I shouldn't. And like, Oh my gosh, am I going to ruin this pointing dog that I didn't shoot, which probably not a big deal, right? Like better safe than sorry. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Just
2: the expectation piece of things with this other pup. I'm just so much more at ease. And like, if she, she has a moment where something doesn't go right. If we're trying some simple training thing, or she has a bad experience, which she really hasn't had much of. I'm just really at ease. Cause I've, what I've learned is that these dogs are resilient. They're smart. They're intelligent. And I mean, you guys talk about this a lot. Like you, you need to be cautious, but you just need to re- be very observant and you need to read your dog and pay attention. And if something's not right, we back up a step, we address it a different way, or we, we, go at it again tomorrow. That sort of stuff has just come a lot easier to me this time around.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I mean that, you know, there, there's a ton of benefits of having an an additional dog in your lineup. And, but to your point, you know, I think the biggest takeaway or the biggest benefit that you have on your second dog is you don't yep. have that pressure. You're, you're not so consumed with the unknown and you probably get it a lot as, as well as we do, you know, so much correspondence from listeners or people on yep. the first dog asking, at what age do you do this? You know, am I, am I behind? And you talk to them and you'll, you'll have somebody worried that they ruin their dog and the dog is like 16 weeks old. And, you know, how, it's the majority of time. It's just, you explain to them, slow down. I know you feel like you're missing something, but just enjoy the ride. Let it be a puppy. And you know, it's, it's really not until you go through your first dog that you really learn that lesson. And on the second one, you, you really get to just enjoy the ride a little bit more because the pressure is kind of taken off. You kind of know what you're getting. Yeah. uh, That's where my head's
2: at. I feel like, you know, I, I definitely had fun with with Hartley's first season, but that pressure was it was always there for me. And I I have no doubt that this season, you know, number one, I've got a six-year-old dog that I can lean on as far as like getting in some serious hunting time. But then he's gonna get some nice breaks while I'm messing around with the puppy. And and when I'm taking the puppy out in the field or the woods, it's gonna be very, very enjoyable. You know, it's it's gonna be totally up to her to just have fun, explore hopefully bump into a bird or two and we'll see what happens. But that pressure and the high expectations or, or whatever expectations, I mean, there really are none. It's just, can I walk this pup into enough birds to to get her having fun, and you know eventually we'll get there because i'm i 'm in an area where i can I can do that and i 've got access to wild birds, and you know she 'll become a bird dog someday because I put her on enough birds not not because of the stuff that i 'm doing you know it 's just giving her the opportunity to let that natural talent develop and let her
1: express it yeah so it 's not just the experience of being on your second dog but it 's also. Like you guys are saying, you've got another dog in the truck. So you're not depending on the one dog to be able to go out and hunt. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, So how far, how far along are you in your training progression with her now? Have you you done bird intro and gun intro and stuff like that?
2: So we haven't, uh, we haven't done guns yet. She has seen, she's seen quail. I brought her, I don't have any birds here on the property. How Um, old is
1: she again? She's,
2: she's 12 weeks.
1: Oh okay 12. yeah yeah, yeah. So she's he's, a baby
2: she's a baby she's honestly a baby yeah but i i like the first or second week i had her i brought her up to a buddy's house who had some quail and we threw a clipped wing quail down on uh, on the ground and she was interested in it chased it around a little bit but i mean this is this is a very very young pup so i had no expectation you know i wanted to quite frankly i wanted to see her go in and and Tease this bird and and push this bird around. And that's exactly what she did. And we actually, we left that one uh, uh, alone for a while and we went over to the other side of my buddy's yard and he had, um, he had another bird in a foot trap, which we just wanted to see if she could smell it out. And we kind of were messing around over there and she didn't really pay any attention to it. No big deal. We walked back over to where this other bird was in this little clump of alders. We didn't know where it was. And all of a sudden she's she's got her nose on the ground and she's sniffing around and she jumps into this big brush pile and she's chased that bird right out of there. So I, I was pretty happy to see that. Just she was using her nose. She was she was chasing up this bird. And then shortly after that, my my two and a half-year-old son let out a scream and I looked down and saw a yellow jacket fall off of him and <laughs> Uh, my buddy, who was a police officer at the time, he, he grabbed my son and ran. I grabbed the puppy and ran. We both got stung by yellow jackets. <laughs> and <laughs> uh-huh. it was like, talk about a recipe for like, the pup did not get stung. Everybody got stung <laughs> except the pup. But like just what you want your, your nine-week-old pup to do is smell a bird and get stung by a yellow jacket. Oh, Thank yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That that's the type of stuff you tell the story later. It's like, oh my bird, my dog shies away from birds because it got stung by a yellow jacket, and everybody around the campfire. Like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, what
1: are the chances on that? Well, I tell you what, um, Nick and I get to see quite a few puppies, you know, at the Navda training days, and um, a lot of people are like, my puppy didn't point that bird, yep. and you know, like you're saying, I'd rather see a puppy charge in and try to take the bird out or even take the bird out because then it's like they get a taste of of what the smell is so when they do finally point in my opinion it's going to be a more intense point yep
2: Yeah. I, you know, and I'm in fairness, I'm kind of, I'm pulling those words right out of the mouth of Jerry Coulter, who I interviewed right before I picked up my puppy. And he, he mentioned that on the interview that I did with him is that, you know, a real young pup like that, he'd rather, he'd rather see them go in there and bump that bird and mess around with a little bit. than you know, it's not like he would be totally upset if the pup pointed, but sure. Is the point of our conversation at that time was again, don't worry about every little detail. Like these pups, These pups are going to change so much in the first year. And they are, again, they are resilient and you get, you get a dog from the right breeder with the right breeding. I mean, most of them are going to have more, more genetic potential than we're going to, we're going to even maximize, you know? Exactly.
1: Well, what we usually hear people say is like, if your dog doesn't point this bird, it's okay. And I would argue that it's, it's not good or bad. You know, it's, it's like equal. I mean, if the dog points it, great. If the dog takes it out, potentially even better, you know? Right. It'll it'll learn to point later. So it's it's not like we're just trying to help someone like heal some wounds like, "Hey, it's okay, your dog's going to learn to point one day." Like, I actually want to see him take the bird out, you know? Yeah.
2: But you're right. That's it. I, it's it's don't get too high or too low on anything you see. You know, if you're if your 9-week-old puppy walks in and points a pigeon, you don't. You don't all of a sudden start. You know, <laughs> calling people saying, "Hey, this dog's gonna be ready to breed in nine That's months." That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, there's a well, lot um, left to happen.
0: It, every puppy that comes out there, their first time, I tell everybody, you're going out there with absolutely zero expectations. <laughs> yeah. And you know that there's always that occasional person. Well, I, I heard you ne- never let your dog catch a bird. I'm like, no, trust me, it's not the end of the world that your four month old puppy catches a bird now if it's a you know you're looking at a year 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 and a half old dog and it's still catching birds you know we got some work to do but a first puppy bird intro no expectations whatsoever that puppy is gonna do what it's bred to do and you're gonna really get to learn a lot about that dog and their drive and just just how 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 much courage they have, you know that they smelled something, and instead of maybe shying away from it or being reluctant, they crashed in on it, and so that tells you a lot about their prayer. Yeah, drive.
2: you know, and Nick, those are the things that. I know you guys have read them. You guys have talked about these on some, like some of your mythbustering episodes. I listened to, I like marathon binge listened to a bunch of episodes. I was driving back from Michigan. <laughs> I went over to see Dell Whitman to have some work done on one of my shotguns, and I was driving back listening to all this. It's funny you just couldn't remember. Like I remember where I was. When I was listening to this, but yeah, like you read a line in a book, and like a lot of these books are written by people that you know n- probably know way more about dogs than I do. But it was just the nature of that media at that time where you can't go through every little context and explain every little thing about a certain thing that a dog is going to do. I mean, we're talking about animal behavior here, but so at the end of the day, there might be a line in a book that says, never let your dog catch a bird. And I remember (laughs) reading a book that said that I remember reading a book that said that I think was a pretty good book by a pretty well-known person that said he would never let his pups chase a bird early on. And this person, he may very well believe that to this day and have very good results with it. That might be the case, but I would say, I would argue that if you listen to most of the dog trainers and people that I talked to, and you guys talk to today, they're going to say, let those young pups chase those birds and build the drive up. So how does a, how does a person that's totally an amateur brand new to this, how do you parse that out? I mean, that's a challenge. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's difficult. And even, a lot of the uh, the the pros, the guys that have way more experience than we do, they might even write a book that says here is the way to do it. And then a couple of years later, they go, you know what? I'm still learning, and I'm I'm still willing to to change my theories. And they change their theory on something. Yep. So we all have to be willing to adapt. Yes. Yep.
0: In my opinion, there's just too many dogs and too many different personalities and too much nuance into this to have the way to train the dog from start to finish. There's just, there's just too many different variances involved in this, and so I, I want to get into. You have a a really good age gap between Hartley and your and your new yeah. pup. You know it so many people that they get into this world and they get hooked and it's, you get that first dog and you, you get that just bug and they go buy a second. That's me, buddy. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Like a year later. But you know, there's something to be said for spacing it out to where you always have that finished dog that, you know, started dog, maybe a fresh new pup and you have that good gap. And obviously you said that Hartley and the pup, they're, they're half siblings. So What was it in Hartley that you said, yes, I want this dog again? You know, were there certain qualities that you you wanted to make sure that you attempted to recapture in the next pup and just keep it rolling that way?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, on the age gap thing, that was, that was, it was intentional by me to have them spaced out a good amount. I will say that, you know, having one dog is definitely, you know, certainly different than having two, like different than going from two to three and three to four that sort of thing and you can kind of imagine logically why that is but like the last couple years it was kind of like i was really hunting a lot and i like i could have used another dog at times but i just i wanted to wait another year or two i mean part of it was we had we had our son and so i was trying to let some let some time pass there we could kind of let's Add one new cra- crazy, chaotic variable to our lives at a time, and uh, so <laughs> yeah. far that's worked. That's worked pretty well for my wife and our son's at a great age right now, and he, he and the puppy are getting along well. So, um, yeah, the, they're they're six years apart, and I think uh, that'll be a that'll certainly be a nice balance as as the two of them age from here on out. So that'll be good. But yeah, I kind of I honestly kind of stumbled on. I've told this story before, but when I was growing up, I always wanted a bird dog. I didn't have bird dogs as a kid. Um, My dad got me started grouse hunting. We would, I hunted grouse without a dog for a long time. And you can, you can definitely do that. But I always knew I wanted a bird dog, and I always pictured that my bird dog would be a a German Shorthair because I think like that's like the dog that I used to see <laughs> on on like ESPN Outdoors, and you know I'm watching all yep. this stuff and all this like I always just imagine like a German Shorthair. One of my closest friends and one of my closest hunting partners to this day, my buddy Garrett, he's got two Shorthairs, and the, his dogs. Well, his his older dog Stella, she was one of the first dogs that I really got to spend some time hunting over, and it was. <laughs> Absolutely nothing that, that Stella did that ended up in me not getting a German short hair. She's a, she's a great dog and I've had many great hunts over her, but I just, when the time came for me to get a dog, I just happened to stumble on this. I think I started searching for rough grouse bird dogs or something like that, you know, cause I knew <laughs> like I was a one trick pony at the time. Like all I hunted was rough grouse. And I stumbled upon this article that talked about this breeder that was in Minnesota that was breeding English setters and English pointers for, or pointers, I guess, if you want to say, uh, for rough grouse and woodcock hunting. And I went down that rabbit hole. I ended up on the phone talking to Jerry Coulter. Not long after that, I was there visiting him. And long story short, we all know this. I, I wound up with one of his dogs and two, three years into it, You know just the whole experience of getting a dog from jerry and him being a resource i mean it wasn't i didn't go pick up that pup and never talk to him again you know he was there for me with questions anything i needed and i kept in touch with them and i i'll just tell you i mean i had no idea what to expect with my first bird dog and i feel like like hartley has you know any fault in in him is was put into him by me but there just was never any doubt that i was I was going to go back to Jerry to get my second dog. It was just automatic. Um, so when the time came to put down the deposit on dog number two, I just, I called Jerry and sent him a check. And that was that. I didn't know at the time what the litters were going to be. Um, and I think, you know, I've talked to Jerry enough to know he's, he's got a very, he's very strategic in his breeding and I've hunted over, a lot of dogs that have come out of his kennel since then, you know, in the last six years, I've hunted over a lot of Northwoods dogs and you see a lot of similarities. There are, I don't see a lot of drastic differences and I feel like there's a pretty good consistency across all the litters. So when I had the deposit in for this spring and I was waiting on the litters to come out, they eventually announced them. What ended up happening is there was, they kind of had some dogs not come into heat and they had to switch them around a little bit. And I was going to get a dog that was not, you know, really really like not a half sister or a half brother to Hartley. Um, but then the litters got switched and all of a sudden Grits, the sire of Hartley, came back on another litter with this other dog. And I, I was indifferent on that. I mean, I I know what I've got in Hartley. I know kind of what Grits put into him and that it's good enough for me, right? Like I just, I was not very picky about it. It was a repeat. It was a repeat breeding uh, with the female and grits. I t- called Jerry, talked to him about the litter. Liked what I heard. He put me in touch with some folks that had pups out of the litter from a couple of years ago. I called them, talked to them, did all the stuff that people say you should do, and um, you know, it was it was an easy decision for me. It really was.
0: Yeah. So I mean that. So much of that is exactly what we preach when you're looking at a pup, you know, find a breeder that you trust and that you develop that relationship with. And then when it's time to get another dog, I mean, it's really not a lot of thinking because you know exactly what you're getting and you just trust that they know what you want and that they're going to pick the right dog for you. I mean, so did you just send in a check or did you even say that, you know, you're getting down for a female, did you even pick the gender or did he, I did
2: pick, I did pick a female. Yeah. I did pick a female. Um, when we, when we first put our deposit down for Hartley six years ago, my wife and I wanted a female and it was for no other reason than I, I hear this from quite a few breeders, you know, a lot of people, like I I would say the majority of people, like whether or not it's, 55% fifty five percent or eighty five percent a lot of people just default to female and just think oh i 'd rather have a female dog, right, and so that was me yeah. and my wife, yeah, well, we want a female dog well the litter the litter dropped at that time, and there was one female, and I was number two on the list, and there was there was three males, so Jerry was like, You can either wait or you can you can have one of these males and and that was at the time where what do I know like i'm i'm about to get my first bird dog i don 't know one way or the other. Jerry took the time to talk to me, and he asked me why do you want a female? And I kind of told him what I told you guys. Like, I really don't have a strong reason for having a female. It's just what my wife and I picked. And he said, if I was going to have just one bird dog, I would probably have a male because they can be a little bit more durable, and I would have no reservations about aggression or any of those things that sometimes people think about. Right? I, I wasn't really thinking about that, but maybe I was unconsciously. And uh, so he he just, again, took the time to answer those questions for me. We got a we got a male we got hartley and it's been it's been you know he's been he's been a great dog in the woods and at home we have had no issues with them so when this time came around now we're like okay we want a female just because we want to see if there's a difference we want to have a female dog around the house and we want to see if we notice anything or if it's if they're all kind of the same um so we did put in a deposit and we said we were we were hopeful to get a female and fortunately this time uh, the litter, actually, there was eight pups. There were six females and, uh, wow. and only two males. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had I think, four dogs to choose from at the time.
1: Similar story here. I uh, I wanted a liver female and ended up with a, a black and white male. <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: You know, and I'm kind of, I'm uncertain on what I want next time. It'd be cool to have a female and a male just to have uh, two different, two distinct different personalities. Yeah. Even though with, with two males, you can still have different personalities, but in my mind, with, with two males in the house, it'd be like having two goofballs running around, you know, just just being these dopey males. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to go with next. Um, how's it working out for you with having a female? I mean, she's still 12 weeks, but right? Yeah. are you seeing a distinct difference in the personalities?
2: You know, honestly, like I, we joked about some of the stuff, like I, I, this, she seems to be a little bit more like, I don't know what the word is. Like, it's not feisty, but like, she's, she's like pretty, she's just bold around the house and like the stuff that she's do, she does. And like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I feel (laughs) like that is, that is definitely her. Um, And so again, like like you said, I I mean, I won't get too, like, I'm not going to say like, Okay, I've had a male now and I've had a female and I know what all male dogs are like and I know what sure. all female dogs. The <laughs> reality right. is I have two dogs and two unique individual dogs. That's all I can say. I mean, it's a small yeah. sample size. I have no idea one way or the other. Now, of course, you know, being a female, like, well, I will have to deal with some things that I haven't had to deal with before. And uh, we'll certainly sure. cross that bridge when we get there. But yep. I am, uh, you know, she's been she's been a joy to have around. And and, you know, th- I've I've kind of taken like I have an affection now for the fact that they are siblings. So it's like when they are messing around or doing stuff or she's pestering Hartley, like we can kind of laugh and just say, well, yeah, they're brother and
1: sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, very so, cool.
0: I know you're primarily just you're a hunter. That's what you care about and that's what you do. I I don't think you've done any trial in or testing or anything like that. Is that, is that something that you've ever really thought about wanting to get involved in or you're just, you know, hunting takes up your time and that's what you want to do. And that's what you're passionate about. Yeah,
2: I've, I definitely have thought about it, but yeah, you're right. I came into this as, you know, I was a grouse hunter way before I was ever a, an amateur bird dog handler. And I, I still consider myself, you know, a grouse hunter more than a, more than a bird dog handler or for sure a trainer, but now, you know, bird dogs and bird dogs and upland hunting are, they are inseparable for me. That's, that's yeah. for sure. But I did run Hartley in uh, I ran Hartley in a grouse trial here when he was, it was a Derby. So it was, it would have been his like, gosh, I want to, I don't know, I don't think it was his first spring. Cause he was pretty young. Maybe it was, I'm not sure. But anyways, when Hartley was young, I ran him in a grouse trial and he actually had a, he had a couple of unproductive fines, but he ran nice. And I knew one of the judges from our local rough grouse society chapter. And you know, again, talk about one of those situations where like, I don't know what I'm getting into here. Like, I don't know if I'm going to show up and just be the laughing stock of this thing. But (laughs) you know, the judge, he pulled me aside and said, he's like, you got a nice dog there. And he, he runs well and you guys have a good relationship. He was keyed in on you. And just, you know, I was really like, it was a great group of people. It's, it's, uh, I think it's the Wisconsin grouse dog guys, but I've gotten to know a bunch of people from Wisconsin grouse dog trailers and the Minnesota grouse dog association. And, you know, my real reason for going there was to get closer to those people. It wasn't necessarily to accomplish or achieve anything with my dog. It was, Hey, I'm new to this. Like I, I admitted that from the very start and and it's funny because when I got my dog, that was my motivation. I'd also recently relocated back to my hometown of Duluth. I was living in Minneapolis, moved home, got the dog. I reached out to my local rough grouse society chapter. I mean, this is stuff that you guys talk about as far as like just getting into these networks and, yeah. and increasing your, increasing your network of potential mentors and people that you can hunt with, train with and all that sort of thing. And I was welcomed into there you know, the, uh, Mark Fouts, who you guys know, when you worked with the rough grouse society, he was, he he's local around here. He was involved with the chapter, but he works with the rough grouse society. He kind of reached out to me, pulled me in the rough grouse society guys welcomed me and they're all bird dog guys. So they got me going to that trial and hanging out with them. And it just like, I just really immersed myself. And that's, that was my whole goal was to hey like I need to surround myself with people that have been doing this for longer than I have because I've got a lot to learn. So that was the real motivation. And to answer your question, Nick, uh, I might I might run I might run rows in in a grouse trial around here if I have if I can. Like I don't have a strong desire again to go out and prove anything, but I'm I'm certainly more confident in my abilities to. Work these dogs, get them on birds, handle them. I know what I'm doing more, so it might be, might be kind of a good litmus test for myself and my dog to to get back out and run the trials. And at the end of the day, you're you're running bird dogs, and you get to see a bunch of cool dogs and and hang out with cool people. And again, I just I love this stuff. I can't get enough of it. So if if I do that stuff, that's really my motivation is just to just to associate with the folks that are out there doing it.
1: You'll probably do really well. Uh- If doing that, because you're not there for proving your dog, you know, you're not going to be nervous when you're doing it. It's like, I'm here for the social aspect of it. So who cares how they judge my dog? And because of that relaxed state, you'll probably do really well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that could certainly play into it. But yeah, you know, I remember going up to the, you know, you go up to the starting line, you bring your dog up there and there's another person there who you automatically assume, you know, this is about his 100th trial and he's been yeah. through, doing it for decades. And I remember I shook the guy's hand. He was a really nice guy. And our dogs, you know, we released them and our dogs kind of went out in front of us and that was it basically as far as like our interaction. Cause his dog went one way and Hartley went the other way. And, uh, right. and I think that, that dog ended up um, like getting way off track or something not to, not to pump up my own sales here with my dog. We just, we just kept going and again, didn't have any fines, but yeah, I would imagine my second time around, I would have again, just way less pressure, no expectations, but I've, I've now run my dog in the woods a lot more, you know, in the last six years than I had up until that time. So I would be, I'd be much more confident and calm going up and going up to the starting line.
1: So I, I know you're not a grouse trialing expert seeing as how you've, done one grouse trial but right. <laughs> I, i've done zero so give us a quick rundown of of how that works i mean i know you're probably not going to get into all the details but just a quick rundown of how a grouse trial works
2: yeah well i can i mean i can definitely tell you how the one trial that yeah. i ran it ran in worked <laughs> and it was it was pretty pretty simple i mean up here as you guys could imagine we are blessed with excellent excellent public land access um wild bird resources and we are fortunate to be able to run these trials out in the woods and i mean i got to give all the props to the the grouse dog associations be it minnesota or wisconsin which everyone's running the trial i mean they do they do all the work they go out and they scout the they scout the areas they flag the trails so they go out in the woods and they i don't i i couldn't tell you like I think like usually the people that end up judging the courses, they're kind of on the grouse trial association So they're going out and marking the courses. I don't know what they're looking for as far as flagging a course other than I assume they're trying to get into bird cover, which around here is not necessarily hard to do, but there, there must be some kind of nuance as to how you set up and, and flag a course. And so then, you, every, everybody registers and the way that we did it was you ran, you run a brace of dogs. So I walk up, I've got my dog, another guy or girl walks up, they've got their dog, you shake hands, you get the starting line, judge says, go, you release the dogs. And at that point, you know, it's, it's really just like, you know, just like hunting. I mean, everything's on the dog at that point. right? Um, and you know, this is, I, <laughs> obviously it was, it was pointing dogs when I did it. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think you would run a, you would run a flushing dog in the kind of trial that I was at, but, yeah. uh, so then at that point it's just, you're following your dog through the woods and, and there was a gallery, like there's people walking behind the handlers and the judges cause people yep. want to see other dogs, which is cool. Um, not always easy to do in the grouse woods, but it's everybody's there having fun and enjoying it. And obviously you're hoping to see, you're hoping to see bird work, but you walk the course and when the dog goes on point, you know, for a derby dog, if the dog goes on point, all the handler's job to do is to walk in, hopefully flush a bird and shoot a, shoot a starter pistol, but the dog doesn't have to be steady or anything like that. They can break on the flush Okay, as far, as far as I understand at that age, a dog is, they're not held to like steadiness standards. So uh, again, like I said, my dog had a couple of unproductive points and this is kind of a funny example that I could bring up. Like... At the time, he went on point a couple times, and my flushing attempts were, I would say, very amateurish. Like <laughs> I just walked up right in front of his nose and didn't kick anything up and just kind of released it. And I, I would, I never did circle back. I know the judge; um, he's a buddy of mine from the Rough Grouse Society. His name's Tim. I should ask him. Like I would think a more seasoned person would have made a much better flushing attempt, especially knowing <laughs> what I know now about how grouse act, you know, when they're pointed, like they're not always sure. going to be right in front of the dog. Yep. Um, so I think my flushing attempts are weak and, you know, I, maybe I like to tell myself that, yeah, Hartley he had a couple grouse nailed, but I just didn't flush them <laughs> on, <laughs> on that particular day. But, uh, but that's about it. You know, you walk through and you, and you eventually finish the course and like a couple of times that day, dogs got off track. They got off course and, like, the way that works is you could have – I had, like, my Garmin Alpha on my dog, but you couldn't – the transmitter had to be turned off. You know, you can't you can't use a GPS um, to track your dog during the trial. I think the rules are they could potentially change. What they don't want you to do is um, they don't want you using stimulation or anything to, sure. to handle your dog. Uh, but I think for tracking sake, I think they've maybe come around on that as far as, like, you know, nobody wants to lose a dog. Sure. Um, So, but a couple dogs got off the course and like people had to turn their GPS on and they were, they were disqualified from that run. They got to go get their dog, et cetera, et cetera. That can happen in the grouse woods. And, uh, and after that everybody runs and, and then the judges, they do what they do and they've, they've seen what they've seen and they determine who the winner's. Are and everybody gathered at this little small bar in the middle of Grouse Country, and they <laughs> handed out uh, handed out some awards and and people clapped and shook hands and we all had a drink and had a good time.
1: Very nice. <laughs>
2: that, that's about it. <laughs> that,
0: that that's fascinating. Just from that's a completely different world than what you know we do down here with the naver yeah. testing. And you know, we we me and Adam have been talking about trying to get into some different shoot to retrieve trials and stuff like that. But you know, I'm just sitting here thinking what it would be like to be in an area to where there's enough wild birds to run a competition on wild birds. Yeah. Cause we, yep. <laughs> de- we definitely do not have that down here. And, you know, speaking of that, that's why we're going up there this fall. And, <laughs> yeah. You exactly. know, we're pumped up for it. And I mean, me and Adam, we were just sitting there talking the other day that it's, we're really getting hot and heavy on the map scouting and all that. So, yep. you know, talk to us Southerners down here and what we can expect on our trip up to Minnesota for the first time. I've been to Wisconsin a couple times. Is it similar to that or, you know, just kind of walk us through what to expect.
2: Yeah, well, it's generally going to be a lot easier walking than from what I understand of the the grouse country that you guys hunt down there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I don't. Well, I I do want to experience. I want to experience the mountain grouse hunting that that many of the folks that I've come into contact talk about. I never have myself, and I I know the you know the the history and the heritage down in that part of the country runs deep, and it's really. I mean. <laughs> you know, I sit up here in an area where I still am experiencing kind of the best, like the best grouse hunting you can have. And there's a lot of people that have put time, years, decades, dollars, all everything into it. And they're just don't have the wild bird resources. And it's, it's a shame. And, and I try to, re- I try to think about that often. Right. So I don't take take what I have in my backyard for granted. But yeah. for a long time I did because well, I didn't know anything. I mean, I've been chasing grouse around since the time I was riding my mountain bike around with a wrist rocket. <laughs> and that's what, that's what we would, that's what we would do after school. And I honestly, I can tell you guys, we didn't, we didn't bring many grouse home, but I absolutely did shoot at some grouse with my wrist rocket, <laughs> with my mountain bike leaned up against a tree. Wow. Nice. But, yeah. But you guys will, you guys are going to love it up there. It will be, It will be different than, than Wisconsin. Uh, you know, there's, I think nuance is a good way to put it there. I've learned this now since I've expanded and I hunt a lot more in Minnesota and Wisconsin now, whereas I used to focus on a very small area of Minnesota. So uh, I got used to us to finding grouse in a really specific habitat type, which on the North shore of Lake Superior, you know, it's kind of boreal forest. We have what I now understand to be very heavy clay soils that tend to sprout a certain kind of habitat, a lot of birch aspen of course, but aspen is a uh, Aspen pretty adaptable, but we've got a lot of spruce. We have a lot of swamps and the swamps are the thing. I think the area that you guys were in in Wisconsin there, it's not as Sandy as some areas of Wisconsin and Michigan. Do you, do you recall where you guys were? Was, was it, Very sandy, or does that not even stick out in your mind?
0: There there were parts of it, but for the most part, it was not.
2: Okay. So what you're going to find when you go to where you're headed this year is little to zero of that quote-unquote sand country, and you're going to see way more of the... Like what I, what I, it's become very familiar to me. I mean, the great, great North woods, as far as like white pine, spruce, birch, heavy clay soil, lots of alders, you know, you, there will be some dense conifer cover, but there is still, there's a lot of, um, a lot of forest management. And so we'll have, you'll have good Aspen resources. And those are, those are things you'll, you'll certainly work into your scouting and, and, and hunts, but it'll be a little bit different. The one thing, about Minnesota, and, and I know this from talking to Ann now, She always says we have we've got in Minnesota we've got like more swamps than most places where rough grouse live, and we have tons and tons of hazel brush, more so than than any other um, like wisconsin or michigan per se and i was i interviewed the fritz and rick heller last week and we were talking about this and they've they've come over to minnesota and hunted and they know that uh hazel brush is a good thing because that's that can be a grouse magnet it's all over so it's not necessarily something that you don't look at a hazel brush and say oh boy there's a grouse in there it's (laughs) because i'm i'm
1: I'm over here writing down (laughs) Hazel brush, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. You you definitely want to know what it is, and you want to know how to identify it. You'll see it, but here's the thing you want to pay attention to with hazel brush. If you've got, let's say, you got aspen stand A or B. If there's a mature aspen stand, one of my favorite places to hunt is a mature aspen stand with a thick hazel brush understory. You won't find that everywhere, but if you can find, if you find mature canopy with a thick hazel brush understory that's grouse cover. I mean, in this, in this part of the country, that is grouse cover because again, as we know, rough grouse, they like diversity. You, you'll hear Aspen mentioned a lot, but this is one of the things that the hellers and I talked about. People can not necessarily by fault of their own, but it's just because of like the resources that are out there. You can easily get carried away targeting pole size Aspen, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas, you're probably going to be in the woodcock all day long if you target that stuff. But when it comes to rough grouse cover, they use way more than just that kind of pole size Aspen. Um, I'm
0: I'm glad you said that because like the first time I went up to Wisconsin, I mean, I just got my dog and it was like, five, six months later, I'm going up there. And the only advice I had was you walk into an Aspen cover (laughs) and if you can throw your hat up in the air and it comes back down without hitting anything, you're in the wrong spot. (laughs) And that's the only thing I had to go off of. And that's what I tell everybody when they ask what to look for. I'm like, look, you just got to go because me telling you you're not going to be able to visualize it. And then once you get in there and you, you know, you just, you get to, kicking dirt and you're eventually going to find a bird and then just kind of soak it in, look around, see what's in the area. And like what you said earlier with, with a mixture, I found that nine out of 10 birds that I've, with flush in Wisconsin, you would look around and it's a mixture of everything. Yep. Kind of on an edge. And nine times out of ten, there's some kind of conifer roosing tree close by. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that, you know,
2: there's one that that statement that you that you rattled off that's been said many, many times. You know, if you can, if you can, if you can f- Fall, but not hit the ground. You're in the right spot. There's some truth. <laughs> There's some truth to that, but you don't need to attach Aspen to that. That can be anything. And Hazel brush is one of those things where you get into some thick Hazel brush, and it'll be. It's like pulling you, like you're dragging yourself through the stuff. And I mean, the grouse love that because again, it's about chest high. They can run around underneath it. They can. Okay. It works to your advantage in the sense that if you get them in there. Once they get up above it, if you can get on, sometimes they'll flush out the other side of a clump of hazel and then you're kind of screwed. But if, if you can get them up above it, which, you know, you can, we can get into that as far as like applying pressure to a, to a dog that's on point. You want to apply pressure to that bird as much as possible from different angles to try to get it to go high. Um, That's something that, uh, that I've worked on and had a lot of success with, but stem density is key it's a better it's better to just talk about stem density as far as a specific species because what you'll find up here and you guys have experienced this like honestly if there's woods it's grouse country like grouse live everywhere up here there's areas where yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go in there because i don't feel like the probability is high that i'm gonna get into numbers of grouse but that's how we're looking at it it's like I might find a grouse in here, but over here I might find five or 10, you know? So that's, that's how you analyze cover up here. You're looking for areas that are super diverse with a lot of stem density. But again, don't be afraid to just walk through anywhere. Like if you see something and you're kind of on the fence about it, go for a walk. You, you're going to, you might waste a little bit of time. You might walk through an area and not flush one, but if you're in the woods, in that, especially where you guys are going, if you're in the woods, there are grouse not too far away.
1: I tell you what, yeah. there's something wrong with me that I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about getting scratched up elbows, branches <laughs> hit me in the face, and I'm excited about it.
2: Oh, you better
1: be. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how much do I have to worry about uh, wolves? And I'm more worried about the dog than myself. I feel like I could probably scare him away with a shotgun. But uh, what's what, tell us Bad. about wolves up there.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. That is not that is something where I'm definitely not going to be able to remove your worries. I mean, it yeah. is it is something that I worry about as a and I and like you, I worry more about my dogs than my own personal safety. I mean the amount of wolf attacks on humans is very, very minimal. Um and you know, I have enough experience in the woods up here to to like have a lot of confidence in that because I've the amount of wolves I have <laughs> with the amount of wolves I've probably even seen, I could probably count on one hand for sure. Two hands. Um, And that's, but the reality is there is not a single place I hunt in Minnesota or Wisconsin that is not wolf country. So if you were to, if you were to have the attitude, like, Oh, I'm not going to go there because there's too many wolves. I mean, that's, that's just not realistic. There are wolves everywhere I hunt. And so every single day I'm in the woods, you know, I, it would be unusual for me not to see wolf scat on a trail and, you know, and they run the trails, they run the logging roads, they do all that stuff. They're chasing deer, they're hunting at night, whatever they're doing. But the amount of times I have seen a wolf is very, very minimal. And I've, I've been deer hunting. I've deer hunted for probably 10 years. Um, very close to where you guys will be. And I mean, that's wolf country. Never seen a wolf. Like you, you would think that you would think that you would, you're sitting quiet up in a tree stand. You would think you would see a wolf come through. they, they are too smart for that they know that the hunters are out there and that's not to say that nobody's you know you know people have shot wolves from their deer stand and i know that but i've heard them howling we've we've walked out one of the coolest experiences i ever had was hunting up in that part of the part of the country walked out it was one of those cold crystal clear mornings completely pitch black the stars were out like you wouldn't believe and all at once. I was walking to my deer stand. My buddy was going the other way. We were just completely alone out there this chorus of wolves picks up in the crystal clear calm night. And I mean, they howled for two minutes and they were not far away. I mean, they were oh
1: man, they were for
2: sure less than a mile away. Ooh, I, I wow. actually was, was like, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was the coolest, <laughs> one of the coolest things I'd ever heard. My buddy, he was closer to them. He said he was a little bit nervous. He felt like they were right yeah. under his deer stand, which I don't blame him. I mean, it, again, it's not something you want to mess with, but uh, here's, here's how I address the situation. And that is that, I'm in the woods all the time. I'm in wolf country. I've never seen a wolf. I've heard horror stories. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this isn't this isn't a, a something to be worried about, but right. I run a I run a bell on my dog and until proven otherwise, I believe that I would much rather let the wolves know that we're coming and they I think all I have is my experience in the woods and I have I've never had an encounter with my dogs on the ground and I hope that I hope that doesn't occur but um, yeah I run, I run a bell and I think it's better to let them know that you're coming rather than uh, rather than not and i will I will tell you guys a, a quick story when I was in probably high school or college I was hunting with that I was hunting around Duluth. Um, not far from here with that same buddy of mine who we heard the we heard the chorus of wolves we were walking down a trail we had no dogs at the time we were walking down this trail hunting grouse and we were in this it was kind of a dense jack pine stand kind of felt like we were just like down this bottom and it was real quiet and calm we heard a twig snap behind us and i turned around and a wolf cut across our trail behind us he was 20 25 yards behind us staring at us the entire time but just kind of cut right across our tracks looked at us disappeared into the brush and my buddy and I did. we didn't even realize like we were like was that a coyote like we, like we just we didn't even honestly know what to think but that's that's the closest encounter I've ever had with a wolf and it was you know nothing happened but it was uh they're out there that's for sure
1: so you're saying we've got a better chance of seeing a wolf up there then we do a grouse down here but i'll start <laughs> go up there with the mentality of like nah we're not gonna see any wolves but every time i step into the woods here i'm like yeah i'm gonna see a grouse today <laughs>
2: yeah yeah you know the other thing is i've heard i mean certainly like when when the bad things happen like i think there was a there was a bird dog i believe that was killed in wisconsin last year you'll hear a lot of uh, a lot of bear dogs on uh, hound hound dogs yeah. get killed by bear yep. or by wolves sorry because they're cutting across you know they're out in the spring they're cutting across these rendezvous sites and the wolves just don't tolerate that um it's less with bird dogs but we've we've started to hear some cases around here where a bird dog gets attacked and and killed but it's also like if you encounter a wolf in the woods it's not a death sentence like i one of my buddies sure. um, pat flanagan he's a guide also up in up in the area where you guys are going to be near there um and he's told me that he's had at least a couple of wolf encounters where his dog was out in front of him wolves were up on a ridge like running alongside i mean the wolves knew they were there and i don't know if he called the dogs closer to him but again it's just like just because you see a wolf doesn't mean your dog is dead i mean it's again it's it's scary scary stuff but um I'm still out there doing it. So.
0: Yep. <laughs> so do you take any other precautions besides bells? Because you know, in the in the hunting world in general, but especially the gun dog world, for every opinion, there's a there's an argument. And yep. I've heard so many people say they don't run bells because the wolves have learned that the bells mean dinner. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, I don't know if they would know what a dinner bell is, but I've heard that from a number of people. Oh, they-
2: I've, I've heard that a lot. And, and again, that's the one where I just chalk that up to like, Kind of an old wives' tale, and I don't mean to. I, I mean, if somebody's had a terrible experience with that, they probably have. Like, I'm not here telling them that it's not true. But yeah. again, I I spent enough time running my dogs in wolf country with bells on that if that really was true, I probably would be dogless at this time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, I just like I said, until proven otherwise, I'm I'm going to run with the bell and just assume that hey, just like bears, you know, like I'm just going to let you guys know that I'm here. I I have no issue with you. I know you live here. We're going to if I see a wolf or if I see fresh sign or something, I might turn around. That's pretty rare if that actually happens. Yeah. Um so other than that, no no real precautions like I don't carry a sidearm or anything like that. I mean, some people might think I'm crazy, but I I figure a uh, i I, at least i should say i hope uh you know two shots out of my 20 gauge could could uh end some kind of a some kind of an encounter but again i i hope i never have to experience any of that
0: well that's crazy yeah i mean it it definitely does something to me i love hunting in a diverse area i mean we got a place down in east tennessee where we have elk and and some black bear and it's just just being out there and knowing that they're out there just kind of just excites me a little bit it's something different uh but, you know, yeah. obviously with wolves, it's a, it's a little different than a black bear that's just going to scoot on up a tree when they see you. Right. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So, man, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And I'm I'm looking forward to getting up to Minnesota. And, you know, I, I think the big question is now when you're going to come down here and really experience the mountain <laughs> grouse. <laughs> man, dude, I like I said, I as I have
2: immersed myself into upland hunting and like upland hunting. I've been, I've been into upland hunting for a long time, but I've used like the podcast and what I do right now to kind of immerse myself even further. And I mean, I I'd love to experience it all. I'm not like, I don't have this list of things that, Oh, I want to do this, this and this, or I want to shoot every game bird in North America. Like I'm not there yet. I don't know that I ever will get there but as far as experiencing new things, especially like clearly I've got a soft spot for the rough grouse. And one of my things that I love about them is the extent of their range and how adaptable they are and how they've been able to survive on this landscape in so many different areas. So being able to come down there and, and hunt that part of the country and, you know, and the other thing it does is it gives, it gives me an appreciation for when I hear guys like you or other folks that hunt the Southeast, like when they're talking like, I, it resonates with you, you know when you experience what somebody else's like pure passion is for hunting a specific bird in a specific place, it just allows that that bond between upland hunters to strengthen, and I think we need more of that
0: absolutely and i d- I definitely just wanna hear your uh comparison from your hawthorn up there to when you go through your first rhododendron patch down here yeah well when i interviewed when
2: i interviewed uh Stephen faust who he's he obviously hunts yeah, down that yeah. way i i will say that i uh i didn't like the sounds of the rhododendron yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's like green all year long the leaves don't drop because that's you know we were talking about hazelbrush earlier Hazelbrush is it's kind of a honestly it's kind of a pain in the you know what until the leaves come off of it and then it's more of a all right I, I I want to see a lot of hazel brush because it's good for the birds because it's so thick, but the leaves are down. But when the leaves are up on that stuff, it's it's a pain. Well, Stephen's like, yeah, he's like, think about hazel brush, but think about it never losing its leaves. That's
0: rhododendron. Well, and that's <laughs> so, when you're describing walking through it and it's pulling you every which way. And they're like, but mm-hmm. if the bird gets up above it, I was like, oh, well, there's a comparison. It, it ends right there because rhododendron is two yep. feet taller than me. So it doesn't help. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah yep it's a love-hate relationship with uh rhododendrons because as much as we hate walking through them some places that's like the only cover that the rough grouse has so without that we wouldn't have any grouse
0: well we'll get you down here one day and let you experience it but again I, i appreciate you coming on and making time for us and just talking dogs and grouse and we definitely look forward to getting up into your neck of the woods here soon
2: Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Honestly, like I said, I, I have, uh, (laughs) I will, I will pump up your sales a little bit. i I seriously appreciate what you're bringing to the podcast space and man, it's one of those things where I've got it as a reason. I mean, I, I mean this when I say it. Like the GDIY podcast is a resource for me because I am, I am still, I'm training my second bird dog here, so I've got a lot to learn. That's obvious. But if I had this podcast when I was when I was getting into Hartley, I can say for a fact I probably would have felt a little bit less pressure than what I did because of the quality of stuff that you guys are putting out. So to be a part of it is is a blast. I uh, I appreciate you guys for having me on and keep doing up, keep doing what you're doing, keep up the great work and let's keep in touch, uh, through the next couple of months here. Uh, if we could connect when you guys head this way, that'd be awesome.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate that. That's that's a big compliment and that's why we do it. And hopefully, you know, people pick up some good information, whether it's from one of our guests or just one of the rare things that we say that's smart on here. So (laughs) all right, well, I appreciate it and, uh, we'll talk soon.
2: That sounds good guys.
1: Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting.